If you have a Bible, go ahead and turn with me in your Bibles to Colossians 1, uh, verse 15, as we'll continue in our series, uh, verse by verse through the book of Colossians. Uh, and if you don't have a Bible, we always have a little stack of Bibles here. You can grab one for the gathering. You can take it home if you don't own a Bible. You can take one for friends or family. If they need a Bible, those are free. Uh, but we are continuing in our series. Last week, we talked about uh, the reality of God moving us from the dominion of darkness into the kingdom of the Son He loves, that we have victory now. We stand in a place of victory in the war that rages on between God and His enemy, that we've been released into a place of freedom and meaningful victory because of what God has done on our behalf and accomplished for us on the cross. Uh, so that was the that was the last paragraph or the last passage. We're now moving to the next one. We're picking up in Colossians one verse fifteen uh, with this uh, stunning passage that's all about who Jesus is and the role that he plays in the universe. This is verse fifteen. It says the Son or Jesus is the image of the invisible God. Uh, the firstborn over all creation. For in Him all things were created, things in heaven and things on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through Him and for Him. He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. And He is the head of the body, the church, he is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything He might have supremacy. For God was pleased to have His fullness dwell in Him, and through Him to reconcile all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through His blood shed on the cross. Let's pray. Jesus, we come into Your presence this morning. And we ask, Lord, that your will would be done. Uh, we know that you have something you want to impart in us this morning, that you uh, don't want us to leave here unchanged, that you want to shape our hearts, that you want to grow uh, our knowledge, that you want to, to breathe life into our souls, Lord. Uh, would this not just be another Sunday that ticks by, but, but you've created this day and you've created us to be in it. This is, this is a meeting place between us and you. Uh, and so we look to you, Lord, not any human effort or human words or human striving. Holy Spirit, this is about what you want to do in our hearts. And so as we unpack these, these uh, simple but very profound verses, uh, would you expand our thinking, Lord? So often in the Western world, it starts in our minds and, and then it moves to the heart and into the, into the deep recesses of our souls. Would you, would you open up our minds, our hearts, our souls to just receive from you to have to have an accurate understanding of who you are. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. The most important thing about you is not your race. It is not your gender. It is not your ethnicity, your citizenship, your family of origin. The, the possessions that you own or the amount that you have in your bank account. The most important thing about you is what you think about when you think about God. 
this single facet of your existence uh, will shape and overshadow everything else. The more clearly we uh, perceive, see, experience God in this life, the more vibrantly we will live. Uh, your, your understanding of God or lack of understanding will, will shape you, mold you, guide you, define you over the course of a lifetime. Because in the words of A.W. Tozer, we tend by a secret law of the soul to move toward our mental image of God. Without a doubt, the mightiest thought the mind can entertain is the thought of God. Uh, and the mightiest word in any language is, is its word for God. What comes into your mind when you think about God is the most important thing about you. And yet, sadly, there is a real risk that the church at large and the individuals uh, within it uh, will uh, surrender uh, our lofty vision of who God is and, and substitute it for something less. Uh, we can and often do uh, think thoughts about God or form a concept, an image, a picture of Him, uh, which is actually a different and often far less uh, than who and what God actually is. Uh, we form something not meaningful, we don't intend to, but, but it becomes an inaccurate, a less than picture of God. Uh, and this often happens in, in subtle, sort of unnoticeable ways, uh, but over time we can drift into a low view of God uh, without ever really meaning to, without really noticing. Uh, and then out of that, out of a, out of a low uh, or inaccurate view of God, all these other problems can start to flow uh, out of that misconception. A.W. Tozer, uh, reflecting on spiritual life in the middle of the last century, wrote this. He said, With our loss of the sense of God's majesty has come the further loss of religious awe and consciousness of the divine presence. We have lost our spirit of worship and our ability to, to withdraw inwardly, to meet with God in adoring silence. Modern Christianity is simply not producing the kind of Christians who can appreciate or experience life in the Spirit. The words, be still and know that I am God, mean next to nothing to the self-confident, bustling worshiper in the middle period of the 20th century. And, and our bustling has not decreased in the last 70 years. But, but what he's saying is that, that our view of God, our, if our conception of God, if that erodes, if that kind of falls into disrepair and inaccuracy, then everything else around it uh, begins to erode as well. The vitality of the church, uh, our life in the spirit, uh, our, our attitudes, our actions, everything begins to subtly shift as a result. He goes on to say, uh, if we would bring back spiritual power to our lives, we must begin to think of God 
more nearly as he is. And this task of thinking accurate thoughts about God is actually harder than you might think. We have all of these forces, some internal within us, some external in the world and patterns around us, and the things we listen to, see, consume. All of these things, whether internal or external, can work to distract or blur our vision of God. Uh, but passages like uh, the one that we read this morning, they, they force us to, to collide with the reality uh, of an incomprehensible God. It challenges us, provokes us uh, toward a bigger, more accurate picture of who God is, of what He's up to in the world. Uh, left to ourselves, to our own devices, uh, we tend immediately to reduce God down to manageable terms. We, we want God to be understandable. We want God to be in a box. I mean, not deep down in our souls. We, we, we hate that, but, but in our mind, we want that. Something in us says, I, I need to reduce God down. I need him to be compartmentalized. I need him to be uh, in a box, comprehensible. I, I want a God that I can in some way control. This is, this is sort of our, our ego, our false self craves those things. But Scripture will not allow us to do that. It continues to confront us with an accurate view of God that is, that is almost uncomfortable and, and sort of uh, shocking in its breadth. Uh, here are some of the things communicated about Jesus in this single paragraph uh, from the New Testament that we read this morning in Colossians. It says, Jesus is the image of the invisible God, that's, he's just what God is like. He images, reflects him perfectly. He's the firstborn over all creation. He's the one in whom all things were created, visible and invisible. Uh, the one whom all creation was created through and for. What a stunning statement. He is before all things. All things hold together in him. Next slide. He is the head of the body or the church. He is the beginning. He is the firstborn among the dead. He was the first one to experience resurrection. He has supremacy over everything. The fullness of God dwelt in him. God reconciled all of creation back to himself through Jesus. And he shed his blood on the cross bringing us peace. This single paragraph communicates more about Jesus than most of us could fully comprehend in a lifetime. But we have to try. And I think one of the tensions inherent in this paragraph, uh, and perhaps one of the uh, tensions that gives us the most trouble as, as we try and conceptualize who is God, what is He like, is the fact that, that Jesus, that God, is both Creator and Savior. That he, he fulfills both of those roles perfectly. That, that in Him, all things are, are held together actively in this moment. And He was crucified in the first century, and in his tomb is empty, he was resurrected. 
He's back from the dead. And, and, and we're sort of forced to stretch our minds to try to include both of those things. And this is very difficult for me, personally. I mean, it, it, it always has been, it still is to some degree, but especially when I was first coming to Jesus, I, I had this concept of a creator God. I sort of saw like both the, the heart longing, but the logic behind that. Oh yeah, the universe coming out of nothing, DNA, all the things that perfectly came together for us. You know, all, like, oh, I, I get it. There's a, there's a creator God behind the universe. Majestic, awesome, incomprehensible, inapproachable, but then there was Jesus. And, and that was sort of a separate idea. There's this incomprehensible creator God, and, and then there's Jesus. And, and at first, as I was drawing closer uh, and, and questioning my own atheism, uh, I, I thought there was a loving, sort of far-off creator God, and then there was Jesus. But Jesus, in my first understanding, was, was just a human teacher, He's a human being, right? So surely he was a human teacher who taught people accurately uh, about the creator God of the universe. Like he was given insight into that, but surely he's a human teacher. But as I came to truly encounter Jesus and, and see exactly who and what uh, he claimed to be, he claimed to be much more than a prophet. He said, no, I, I am God. I, I, I'm, I've come, I haven't come from here. And, and he, he forces that, that issue, uh, that he was incarnate, he stepped into humanity, into flesh and blood, to show us what God is like, yes, of course, but also to turn the tide of the war through his death, burial, and resurrection, uh, to, to win eternal life for you and me. And, and as soon as I saw that, and I said, yes, uh, to Jesus, uh, that, that, uh, that placed my faith, it started with just placing my faith in that basic identity, that basic understanding of, okay, Jesus is not just a person, he's not just a prophet, he's actually God come among humanity. Uh, and, and so the reality of that identity, the reality of dying on the cross for us and, and the empty tomb, that understanding, placing my faith in that, uh, brought me from a place of spiritual death to a place of spiritual life, of being a new creation, uh, of being a, a follower of Jesus. Um, and so a basic knowledge of Jesus as the Son of God who was crucified and resurrected for us is enough. Jesus says, the Scriptures say, you put your faith in that, that's enough. You actually are adopted in, you become a new creation, you can rest secure in having eternal life. You're even in this life, you're rescued uh, out, of, out of Satan's sin and death. You no longer have to be afraid of death. You become a new creation, a child of God. The, the old is dead and gone. The new has arrived. You have hope, unshakable hope for the future. But it doesn't stop there. Uh, that's this beautiful starting place. Uh, that, that's what... Uh, makes us new creations. That's what saves us from eternity without Him. But then from that point forward, we, we actually continue uh, to grow in our knowledge and understanding of who Jesus is. And, and that continued growth, that deeper understanding, uh, it, it continues uh, to shape and change lives. It continues to challenge me, to shape my life, to change 
who I am day in and day out. The, the journey of discipleship, in some sense, is, is one of becoming more like Jesus, of being shaped into his image. That's the point of our lives after he rescues us, that I would look more and more like Jesus over time. Um, but remember that we tend toward our, our mental image of who God is. So we're going to say, that's the goal of my life is to become more like Jesus. Well, that includes this journey of growing in our knowledge and understanding of who Jesus actually is, of who we are becoming like over time. That's the direction that we're going to head. And so we have to, as, as disciples, whether you consider yourself a follower of Jesus this morning or not, we're all kind of on that same journey. We all have the same call, the same job this morning, the same response to verses like these. We all have to struggle with, wrestle with, delight in, be challenged by these concepts of who God is. And, and I think there's an honest challenge for us to, uh, to stretch our view of God to include all of these things at once. If we're honest, no matter where you're at in your journey, you probably naturally uh, grasp or gravitate towards some of these truths or attributes about God that are like, oh, I get that, I get that, I get that, and the rest of it is like just right over my head. It's like, I just don't resonate, I just don't get that. That just like doesn't make sense to me that those things could be true. Jesus is, is all of these things. He's, he's God, he's the eternal creator, and he's the one who died for us on the cross. Uh, he, he is eternal. He's existed forever. He will always exist. Everything uh, visible and invisible was created in Him. Everything you can see, touch, taste, experience, understand, all of it was created through Him and for Him. And He actively sustains it right now. It's not like He created it and then stepped back and just kind of let it. No, He's actively sustaining you, me, us, atoms, molecules, creation. For some of us, that's very hard uh, to, to believe, receive, grasp, understand that that's who he is, that that's the role that he's playing, that in him all things hold together. Like what? Wait, what? Like atoms, molecules, how does the universe work in the way that it does? With atoms and molecules and cells and organs and thought processes all just functioning and flowing and working to... What, what is that sustaining element? In the, well, it says it's all held together in Him. Everything is. He's the creator and sustainer of everything. The book of Acts says, in Him we live and move and have our being. So He's the creator. It was all made in Him and through Him and for Him. All of it. But we have to hold that lofty, sometimes distant feeling conception of him together with the fact that he's very personal. He's not the master clockmaker who sort of wound up the clock and, and walked away. He's not only actively sustaining, but, but he's very personal with us. In the language of Scripture, we would say he's the God of creation and he's the God of covenant. The God of creation is the God of covenant who, who wants to know you, love you, walk with you, be known by you. 
The God of covenant is the God of creation. And these are hard to hold together because we typically want to separate them, almost put them in separate boxes or categories in our minds. There's the incomprehensible creator God who made molecules and atoms, who made a hundred billion galaxies and and countless trillions of stars. The the one who fine-tuned gravity, who intelligently sequenced DNA. But that same God is a personal God. He knows you. He sacrificed Himself for you. He he knows how many hairs there are on your head, the thoughts, the fears running through your mind. Like He sees, knows, loves, accepts all of that. He, He wants to walk in a covenant relationship with you. And these are hard to hold in tension. Either we think of God as some awesome creator uh, who's a bit far off or impersonal, which sort of leaves room for what we would call agnosticism. Like, oh yeah, I think God is back there. That's the only way all of this came into being. But he's incomprehensible. We don't really know him. He's he's very far away. He can't be grasped or understood. So we can go, go that route. Or we tend to go the other way. And we say, Jesus is Lord, Uh, And and he knows me. He's in relationship with me. But we can kind of forget the bigger picture of of his majesty, of his power, of his active sustaining of us and the universe. It can can slip into this sort of uh, little bubble that's just me and my sin and my forgiveness and Jesus. And we love each other, but it's sort of cut off from, from the big picture of who God is, of what he's up to. I do Jesus-y stuff, but the rest of life is kind of secular. The rest of the universe is kind of secular. It's just life. It's work and school and bills and social media and just regular human life in a universe governed by natural laws. But then I can go into this little corner, this two hours on a Sunday morning, this little pocket with my small group in a living room and, and sort of express my spirituality there, um, get, get sort of a, a fix in an otherwise agnostic universe. You can almost think of the little shrines uh, that, that sometimes people of other religions will, will build in their homes. I'm, I'm sure there's Christians out there who do this too. I just haven't seen it. But you know, in, in oftentimes in like a Hindu home or a Buddhist home, you'll have the whole house is kind of quote-unquote secular, just looks like a normal house, but there's one little corner, one little room, one little alcove that sort of has like the deities that they worship, and maybe some flowers or incense or candles or something, and they're like, this is my, this is my spiritual corner. This is, this is my spiritual spot. The rest of the house is just, is just a house. And, and we kind of do that sometimes with, with the house that is our lives. All of life is, is, is sort of secular, normal, governed by natural law, and then I've got this little pocket where I go to church or I read or I pray, but it can feel almost disconnected from the rest of life. And and part of this grand view of God, it challenges all of that. Are we living as if everything in the universe 
is held together and actively sustained by God. That he's in and through all things. That, that all of it is for him. That he's reconciling himself to every square inch of the universe. That all of it was made through him and for him. Could it be that all of life is spiritual? That we can't compartmentalize anything or say, that is not spiritual. That over there has nothing to do with Jesus. Passages like this challenge that way of thinking. It forces us to integrate all of this together. It sort of stretches our understanding of who God is. We have to connect the truth of the God who made gravity and the Andromeda galaxy with the one who hung on a cross and was resurrected from the dead. Can you hold those together in your mind? That the one who created all things, visible and invisible, the, the one who has supremacy over it all, the one who holds it all together, uh, also is the head of the church. Wait, what? Like, how, how, how do you... The God who created the Himalayan mountains and humpback whales and black holes is the same God who pours out His grace and love over your life in the power of the Holy Spirit. Our Heavenly Father who lavishes His grace on us, who sustains us spiritually, who knows our names, who whispers to us day in and day out, is the same one who's sustaining us physically, holding the universe together. In Him, we, we live and move and have our being. He's both. The heavens declare the glory of God, Scripture says. But so does Jesus. The fullness of God rested on Him. That was it. That's what God is like. That's God in human form. He wasn't holding back. He wasn't hiding the other half of Himself. When you sit in a field at night and look up at the stars, God is revealing something about Himself to you. His, his majesty, His glory is on display there. And when you open Scripture and read about Jesus, that same God is radically disclosing Himself to you. It, it's, it's both. We have to hold them together. We, we, we can't settle on this issue we can't put God in a box. We can't make Him tame. We can't force Him into our logical categories. One of our highest callings and greatest joys as followers of Jesus is to think clear thoughts about Him. So as we close this morning, I want to try a little exercise I just want to create a few minutes, and the worship team can come back up, but I want to create a few minutes for us to just sit 
and think about what God is like. And, and I know that language sounds a little funny. It sounds a little funny to me. Like that's just, an, what does that mean? How do I do, how do, I do that? But, but I want us to invite the Holy Spirit to expand our vision of who God is, to, to give us a bigger, more accurate understanding. Remember that who we believe God to be, what we think about when we think about God, will guide, shape, define our lives. It will shape us over the course of a lifetime, for better or for worse. And, and the more accurate our view, the more full and vibrant that view, the more vibrantly we will live in light of who God actually is. So I want to try this exercise. Uh, we're just going to be here for a few minutes. Margie, you can play something if you want to, but we're just going to take a few minutes to, to sit, to think, to pray. To, to, you can open up this passage and kind of read back through and meditate on these words. If you want to, jump up and, and grab a Bible if you need one. Uh, but, but I want us to sit and wrestle with this question and invite the Holy Spirit to speak into it. What is God like? Or said another way, Jesus is, and you fill in the blank. You can pray, you can journal, you can do whatever you want to do, but I want us to begin sorting out who we actually believe God to be. I don't want a Sunday school answer. I don't want, oh, I know the right, I know, I know it's, it's option C. I've taken this test before. Like, no, I don't, I don't want any of that. I don't want any sort of canned religious answers. I, oh, I know how to, I can pass that test. Sometimes we, we can hide behind our canned answers. We can hide behind religious rituals, but that's not what we actually think about God. There's a disconnect. Oh, I know what to put on the test, but I don't live my life as if that's true. And, and sometimes we have to dig a little deeper to figure out what do we actually believe? What do we as individuals, what do I actually believe about who God is? There's something deeper. And so I, I want us to take a moment and allow the Holy Spirit to search our hearts, to allow the truths that God's revealed about himself to actually collide, confront, transform, challenge uh, our thoughts about him. Uh, so I'm going to pray, and it's just really simple. We're just going to take a few moments and, and wait on the Lord and invite him to challenge and shape our thoughts uh, about him. What God, what are you like? What are, what are you really like? Let's pray. 